You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Sam Henderson. Sam is celebrating 20 years of his comic book, uh, Magic Whistle, um, with issue 13 to be launched at SPX, the Small Press Expo in, I want to say lovely Bethesda, Maryland, but it's not really lovely there. It's kind I guess of it's uh, like uh, Brooklyn, uh, com- Brooklyn uh, compared to D.C. I don't know. <laughs> the, the Brooklyn version of Washington, D.C.? Uh, well, it, it, it is to D.C. as Brooklyn. That's my Okay. Um, it seems very suburban for my one time there. Yeah. It's very kind of spread out and... You walk a lot. Um, so Sam will be there uh, with the 13th issue, as well as his new book, uh, collection of strips, uh, Seen But Not Heard, um, all from Alternative Comics. Thanks for joining me today, Sam. Hey, you're welcome. Um, now, I was looking at your work, thinking about your work, and kind of reading things you say, and... Uh-huh. Um, Kind of one of the things that jumped out to me is where you consider yourself more closely connected to um, comedy than comics necessarily. Oh, I, I go back and forth uh, wondering that uh, about myself, my own place. Uh, sometimes I think my stuff is just comedy in comics form, and often at conventions there seems to be more of a fine, either a fine art aesthetic or uh, people into Batman. Uh, with little in between. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of you're rooted in comics, doing comics pretty continuously for the last yeah. while. Feels like. Yeah. Now, maybe we could start actually with a little bit of background. Uh, now you grew up in Woodstock, and that's where you are now in New York. Yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, I'm here. I'm. I'm in Woodstock part of the time. Um, I'm pretty much here. I'm here in Woodstock all of the summer now, um, just because uh, my parents aren't home, and that's where I get my mail. Um, but uh, yeah, starting in September, I'm I'm in I'm in half the time in Brooklyn, half the time here. Um, now, growing up, were you um, always into comics? Uh, were you kind of a Mad Magazine kid? Yeah, well, I was I was obsessed with things like Mad and Cracked and Crazy and Sick and all their ilk, um, and into things like uh, Warner Brothers cartoons and Monty Python. And uh, I decided uh, that I just that uh, cartooning was more convenient than anything else. Um, I could even be naked if I wanted to draw cartoons. In fact, I'm naked now. Well then, it's a There's good thing. You can do about it. It's a good thing we don't have cameras going. I guess. It's uh, Ink Studs, the radio show where you're meant to be comfortable. Um, in fact, listeners, if you feel like being naked, that's entirely uh, allowed to. Um, we don't uh, limit folks as far as what they choose to wear or how they choose to present themselves. Um, now, you did you draw a lot? Because like, you went to the SVA, so I'm just wondering kind of what was the link there? Um, yeah, well, my my friend Bobby Weiss and I in high school, uh, we did this comic Captain Spaz, and uh, that's what we did up until college, and uh, 
I did buy some of the Marvel and DC stuff uh, up until high school. And so that was kind of the model uh, for what we based Captain Spaz on. And I just wanted to do cartoons because that, that was mostly what I was into and what I saw. Did you have any expectations going there? Uh, well, I, I did, drew in not, not really a re more realistic style, but uh, actually I actually had clothes on people. Um, and uh, actually, uh, while I was at SVA, um, I, had, uh, the Steve, I had Jerry Moriarty's class. It was something called Drawing From Your Head. And I would do these doodles in the margins. And he said I was better suited for that than uh, the types of things that he was teaching. And he would come by and see my uh, art. Interesting. What was uh, some of the stuff that he was focused on? Because his work is very... Yeah, well, well, representational. It yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a comics class. It was just uh, this class was called drawing from your head, and uh, the idea was not to use any references at all, um, and just uh, keep working on on uh, this one particular drawing for the whole semester. And it had to, it had to be a childhood memory uh, was the assignment, I think. And I did a thing about uh, a keg party in high school uh, being busted by the cops. <laughs> um, well, it was also we also uh, were supposed to draw with a ballpoint. Is that something you weren't from comfortable with, or were a lot of folks kind of weird with that? Oh, I, I, I think uh, that was the reason uh, that he uh, we had to use ballpoint pens, uh, just because uh, nobody drew with one. Mm -hmm. There's something like drawing with a ballpoint that requires a lot more it's a lot rougher and you got to be like tougher with it almost. yeah that, well yeah well the felt tip too uh, well i guess that's dip that would be different uh because the felt tip just uh decreases in in width mm -hmm. um the ballpoint um yeah you have to it's different than a pen or a brush you have to uh Sometimes the ink doesn't uh, come out exactly as you want it. I think Jerry still draws with a ballpoint pen. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I haven't been touch with it, in touch with him, so I don't know how he does things. Uh, it's not something he didn't. I think Kramer's ergot, um, uh, but I think it was painted. Mm -hmm. He does. He does the paintings. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw some stuff when I was at Brooklyn. He has paintings with like a really washed out color and then he'll also do these uh, black pen big pen drawings uh -huh. um, with a lot of like a lot of angles and stuff it's, mm -hmm. it's really interesting um, but we're talking about you <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so did you were you publishing any stuff while you were going to school there uh, well I, I was working uh, well I, I, was, I was friends with uh, Tom Hart uh and Mark Arsenault, who's now publishing my stuff uh, back in high school, and we had a magazine called Tuna Casserole, and uh, that was basically showcasing uh, what we thought uh, was uh, the best of what was going on among our friends and things like that. Did you say high school, or was that at the SVA? At SVA. Okay. Those are uh, some good folks to be in school with. Yeah, um, I wasn't well. I, I wasn't really happy with uh, the school and the curriculum, but I stuck it out for, for uh, the whole four years. 
Now, you recently actually uh, posted a, an article on the Comics Journal website um, looking back at that time. Well, you... yeah, I, I wrote something for uh, the Comics Journal like in the late 90s, um, but it was more it was kind of with a chip on my shoulder, and I had just gotten this gotten the alumni journal, and I, I was just talking about how SDA did nothing for me. And looking at it now. Um, that I just uh, figured it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't as bad as I, I wrote it to be. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, I like my whole life now is based on having gone to SBA. At that time, what were you doing professionally um, that had you reflecting in kind of a negative way? Well, it, it, the cartooning department is, was structured a lot differently than it is now. Mm-hmm. Even though they had uh, people like Harvey Kurtzman and Will Eisner as teachers, uh, the whole the curriculum uh, was more set up to uh, basically pander to what was going on in, uh, I don't want to say mainstream, but uh, a franchise maybe is a better word, uh, mm-hmm. to Marvel and DC kind of comics. And uh, also it wasn't, wasn't the way it is now. Um, it was pretty much a sausage party uh, back then um, and people aspired to uh, work for one of the big two companies do superheroes and that wasn't really my thing at that point now were you always um, with an interest in doing humor as your primary focus on comics yeah even even when I was uh, into like a Marvel and DC superhero kind of stuff I was I was reading things like undergrounds uh... there was a uh, bookstore uh... in my hometown uh... the owner didn't even didn't really mind that uh... if kids got underground comics and back then uh... basically uh... people my age were looking at it for the tits but uh, I, I was reading things like uh... weirdo at the, at the time and i like that kind of uh... structure and uh, especially the work of Robert Crumb. And uh, around the late 80s, around that time, uh, companies that were printing his, keeping his, putting his old uh, hippie comics back in print. So I was able to see uh, most of his uh, oeuvre uh, by then. It, you're, it's interesting because you're kind of, the work that you make is more in line with the folks that went to the SVA probably. Ten years before you, I was thinking about it. Yeah, well, well, that was kind of the reason I, I went. Um, there were there were people like uh, like uh, Peter Bag and Mark Newgard and uh, Drew Friedman that I knew had uh, and Kaz that I knew had gone through the whole program, but they were kind of the exception uh, to the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that out later uh, when I was going there. So, when did you? So you started doing. Uh, Magic Whistle 20 years ago. Um, what was it about that particular title, something that you just always kind of wanted to stick through with? Uh, well, my, my roommate, uh, Mike Rex, and I, uh, we would just, uh, like, write about... We, we'd had a lot of inside jokes. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we never wrote any of them down. Um, but he... I, I'll, I'll confess that he was the one that came up with the name Magic Whistle. Um, he was always... He, would make that up as, as like a plot for a TV show, like MASH. 
and uh, I, I just uh, figured that was a good name for uh, a continuing comic. I was just doing a bunch of different mini-comics with different names, and I wanted some kind of uniform title. The One of the things I get from your humor... Um, and it, it sounded like I was looking through or reading a lot of work, uh-huh. and it comes. It's a f- very different from a lot of the other humor stuff I've read. Like maybe the closest I could say is probably Michael Kupperman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and so I'm wondering, like, what your source is for you of what you're pulling in. Like, it seems like it's very kind of almost mundane humor. If that's okay well, to say. Well, yeah, that's because life is mundane. Uh, actually, I mean, Kupperman and I used to, we're, uh, well, I, I'm still on really good terms with him. Uh, we're actually doing a panel at SPX, um, but we were much closer friends in, in the 90s. Um, forget the question now. Uh, just like kind of the source of your humor, like what you kind of take from in life. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, like I'll, I'll have a corner of my eye, I'll see a pan and imagine what it be what it what the pen would say if it was talking things like that I was thinking about in the uh, in the most recent issue um, reading it and one of the your strips in there is based on a kind of horrible experience that we had together me you yeah. <laughs> and Chen Fawn this it would it, it was a pretty shitty experience and it yeah, and it's I- I elaborated on that. Um, basically, I mean, even though I'm mostly a New Yorker, I still don't know my way around neighborhoods that I've never been in, and that was one of them. And we were on this subway in a neighborhood none of us knew, and uh, some guy who was a complete stranger uh, and, and was really drunk uh, just started talking to us. He was very hostile yeah. towards us, too. He He cornered us, and... Got mad at Sam because he didn't own a TV. Yeah, um, he was. He, well, he he thought Jen Vaughn was one of our girlfriends, and then when he when he found out I didn't have a TV, he was he asked me if I had a TV or not, and he said, "Well, that's why that's why she's not your girlfriend because you don't have a TV." And then he got mad at me because I'm Canadian. Uh, I get. Yeah, I don't. I remember. <laughs> Um, it, it was, it, yeah, I mean, we don't have to get the specifics, it was a pretty, the, the, the subway ride wasn't, was the most in trouble, but it, it's, it, I'm interested by the way you kind of, um, extract that story, um, and unpack it and kind of put it back together in a different way, and kind of finding the odd little moments. Well, I mean, in in the uh, strip, uh, it ends with me biting the guy uh, to get away from him, <laughs> which which didn't actually happen. But uh, I I was thinking that at the time. Yeah. What he, if I if I were just just bite him? What would he do? He was uh, holding Sam back from us uh, getting off the the subway. Yeah. When we were at our station, which was uh, not an enjoyable moment. Yeah. <laughs> um. So much personal stuff. Uh, but do you do you take from life a lot like that? Like, kind of... I, I, I do more so now, um, just because um, a lot of what I had done kind of reflects uh, my outlook on life in my, from my 20s. 
and being in my 40s, I look at things differently now. And, now you, uh, go ahead. I, 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 I'm just, uh, just saying things off the top of my head. You can go ahead. Um, well, I was going to say, you did animation for quite a while. Is that something yeah, you're but, still... Well, I, I worked on Spongebob uh, for a long time. Uh, not a long time. Um, even though I'm still, I still get royalties for shows I worked on. Um, but uh, a, a while before 9-11, I worked on that show. Uh, they just called me. They'd seen my work in Nickelodeon. And uh, I went to school with one of the creators. And uh, they asked me if I wanted to work on it. And after that was over, I decided uh, to live in L.A. And then I realize it's not the place to be if you don't really if you don't have a job and don't have a driver's license. You can imagine it'd be pretty impossible to get around. Yeah, um, and I had so much downtime I had to rely on uh, rides from friends and things like that. And I didn't want to do it. Do you, did you work on any other cartoons after that? I worked on something called Camp Laszlo, um, which was on. It came and, and went Actually, I got fired from that, and that's why I was I got depressed for such a long time and ended up moving back to New York. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, I've just gone through this big breakup, and and uh, and I I think uh, my own sense of humor I I can't always meet deadlines uh, like I'm I was required to, and. Uh, they, they just said it, I wasn't working out, even though I thought I was. Um, so I, I was there for like three months or so. Now, did I, I did a few things in between, uh, just uh, writing a, a couple of SpongeBob comics for Nickelodeon, um, and uh, just and writing material. I wrote material for something called Ape Escape. Um, Steve Weissman and I came up with uh, an idea for a TV show. It turned out not to be as original as we thought when we pitched it. That was another thing that ended up disillusioning me. Um, is there too many people with uh, similar ideas? It's a uh, animation, such an odd, precarious. Yeah, I mean, it is working. It works out for some people, uh, just not me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, Kaz uh, was working on SpongeBob too, and uh, came out there around the same time, and and uh, it to totally worked out for him. And that's where he felt comfortable. And you, um, so you were mainly when you're working on SpongeBob doing writing. Yeah, um, well, I, I was basically, a, I, I, I was credited as storyboard director, but what I basically was was a gag writer, and I'd come in like two days a week um, to, to punch up uh, some of the scripts that were already being done. And I had a writing partner, and uh, we were given uh, basically an outline of the story, and, uh, and, and, and him and I uh, basically fleshed it out, uh, Fully. No, the uh, you mentioned a couple minutes ago the working in Nickelodeon, and one of your books is the seen but not heard, the collecting yeah. all your strips from Nickelodeon or your seen but not heard strips. Yeah. Um, and tell me about that that experience and like kind of. Um, well, 
that's a book I'm really proud of, but I, and I keep, I, but I, I decided not to publicize it as much anymore, just because uh, I finished it like three and a half years ago, and uh, kept being told it was going to come out, and uh, it's been on the back burner for a lot of time, a lot of times for different reasons. Uh, but it, it pretty much co uh, collects everything I did uh, for the the entire duration of Nickelodeon magazine. So is is it actually coming out soon? Yeah, uh, we're going to try to have some advanced copies for uh, SPX. And, uh, and it, it, it will be at uh, the, uh, the one in, in Brooklyn coming up. The Comic Arts Brooklyn? Yeah, I, I guess that, yeah, that's what it's called. I, I just know it's uh, basically a kind of a splinter of uh, the uh, Brooklyn Comics Festival. The new Brooklyn Con. Now, another article you did on the Comics Journal was one where you um, kind of showed the process for your strip. Um, and it's really interesting seeing that, because when, when I look at your strip, I mean, the art is quite crude in a way, um, and it 
it gives it the idea that you're kind of like just throwing these ideas together, but uh, it's fascinating how you kind of boil down an idea to kind of synthesize it to get exactly right. Is that kind of something you go through with all your comic strips? Yeah, and then after I'm finished, it's I see all these mistakes I didn't before. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, basically it's it's just as as much if not more writing than uh, than drawing. Um, it's it's more like figuring out how to best execute it. Um, and I've been doing gags about what like twice a week and putting them on things like Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I've sold some of them. Uh, I'm doing it's, it's now a regular thing in this paper, the New York Observer now. Nice. And that's uh, is that a weekly or monthly? Yeah, I mean it it, it. it does cost money. It is weekly. It's well, it's kind of like uh, a free weekly for rich people. That, that's the best way to describe it. Um, and it's just basically like your one-panel magic whistle gags. Yeah, it's the type of things that that I I do post on on the uh, on various websites. And the other thing you've been posting a lot, I was looking through, and your extensive look at old issues of Crazy and Cracked. Yeah, well, I mean, well, that goes back to, as I said, as a kid, I, I was obsessed with those magazines, and I still have some of them, so I decided just to put, uh, since I have a blog, I might as well just put them online. Are there any particular um, folks, as you're revisiting it now, that you may have not gotten into earlier, that you enjoy now, more now? Yeah, kind of. Um, like, I, I mean, like, Cracked always, I mean, like, by the time I stopped reading it, I just saw it as a cheap uh, knockoff of Mad, and it is kind of inspired by that. Um, but it does have people like John Severin, um, who were good artists and not trying to imitate mad artists. And then, like, uh, eventually I got to see uh, the early mads and using some of those. Mm-hmm. Well, he was one of the staple EC artists. Yeah. Um, has there been anyone particular that you didn't know about before that may have stuck out to you, or...? Well, also, like, Howard Nostrand, uh, is somebody that did a lot of uh, different kinds of comics in the 50s, and he ended, He was at, at Crack in the 70s and 80s. There were a lot of people in a lot of his magazines that uh, were big, prominent artists uh, 20 years earlier uh, and ended up working for these humor magazines. Are you generally, like, when you're reading comics for yourself or reading stuff for yourself, drawn towards humor? Yeah, that's that's pretty much my preference uh, with comics, and uh, it's probably why I ended up being friends with people like uh, Michael Kupperman and uh, various and different uh, humor artists. Um, when I was out in L.A., like me and Johnny Ryan and a few other people, used to just do mini comics for ourselves. I think I have some mini comics that you guys did the little like one sheet of paper folded up yeah it was something i think uh, i think chris ware started um when he was pretty much unknown and when he was in college maybe and uh did some stuff with some of the same people that uh we were friends with out in la mm-hmm. um 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it got to the point where we were just making fun of each other and trying to be more outrageous uh, than each other. And it became more of a competition than, uh, than just doing funny comics. That sounds like it could be dangerous doing it with Johnny Ryan. Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, like, some, some of the stuff, like, just got to being racist or... Like, just just things that are not that bad, but uh, just think things that uh, we wouldn't want uh, the public to see. I would, that makes me think, like, because your work, you, it doesn't seem to be, like, the, the joke isn't on uh, maliciousness. Well, I, I, I mean, there are things that I hate, but I don't really, I, when I do the comic, I don't really want to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. I just want to entertain people. Yeah, but even like the interaction between the characters, like it, yeah, it seems like it's just situational humor. Yeah, I mean, there are some things like people, someone like Johnny Ryan's, uh, like he's kind of more mean spirited uh, in his work, and that's an asset. Um, but uh, I, I just choose to to just it's not really uh, character based at all. But it just. Uh, in it for for the joke, really. I'm, I'm not out to shock anybody, um, even if I do. Um, that's never like the original intent. I just don't care what what they think. And it's it's funny talking about Copperman because I interviewed him uh, a month or two ago, and he actually mentioned yeah. you. Yeah. You guys uh, used to go shopping together, and the crazy magazines that he picked up. Yeah, we uh, well, there used there there were used to be uh, part of the area of Times Square now with all these uh, it's all just full of malls and tourist attractions now. Um, but it, it, I mean, it used to be more scary and uh, like more porn and drugs based. Um, but it, it had a couple of used bookstores, and there were there was one in particular uh, where we went sometimes uh, to get old magazines. There's the one that uh, you talked about. Um, just the rearranged uh, magazines. Mm-hmm. I bought maybe five of them. He had a, got whole box loads full of them. And uh, that was a, a store, like, I guess the original owners died, and uh, the kids took over, and they didn't really know what to do with the store. And so at that, like, around the time uh, Times Square started getting more gentrified, and uh, I think the, the kids of the uh, owners of the used bookstores knew they were going to close soon anyway. Um, they didn't really know about the magazines or care, and so they just had stuff out there. Yeah. Just clearing out space. Yeah. And was so we were, we, were able to find, we were able to find odd things. Coming from a relatively small town... Uh, to New York in the late 80s, early 90s, was that a bit of a shock for you, or had you gone back and forth from New York growing up? Uh, well, I, I knew what, what New York was like uh, when I went to it. I mean, well, I wasn't shocked as some people. Um, I mean, there, there were people there that there were, like, because uh, the dorms we were in, I mean, there, there was a floor where it was also a Y, so it was kind of a culture shock to a, a lot of people there. There, there were like a lot of white kids that never met a black person, or vice versa, and uh, none of them ever saw a gay person before. 
That's what we tried to talk to them. Well, welcome to New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, Magic Whistle 13 is your new one, and um, you have some work by Liz Hickey, and I forget the other person's name. Uh, David Golden, he's uh, an illustrator, and he's done covers for Newsweek and things like that, and also worked in animation. Um, and Liz Hickey's just, I, I don't really know her that well, but some somebody that I really like as a cartoonist, and I haven't seen much of her work in print. Um, and I also, I want to, I want to, ha- I, I don't get as many letters anymore, and uh, I want to, I want to, uh, I, I thought I'd just use like four or five pages to uh, showcase other artists I like. And uh, David Golden, who did the back cover, that that was something I, I decided to do also, like, because there are a lot of, all these gags I do floating around, and I just wanted to see them in a, another, a different style, like this, my same sense of humor, but drawn a different way. Has it been nice to have um, Mark Arsenault taking over... Uh, alternative, because I mean you've been primarily pub- published by Alternative. So, what's it been like for you, kind of getting your work out like that again? Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's good, and, and it's more. Uh, it uh, kind of has pulls has pulled me out of this. I've, I've been in kind of a slump for the past five years, uh, just for more cartoonists coming along, and just being disillusioned by the business, things like that. Uh, but Mark is somebody that I, I've known for a long time and he knows how my brain works and what kind of comic I want to do so that's good and he's always been a player in comics world in different capacities mm-hmm. that's good that he's taken over uh, alternative comics which was basically a vanity thing uh, for Jeff Mason uh, basically printing stuff by a cartoonist he liked but uh, like he he had he has a day job, so he kind of he kind of lost interest in uh, publishing other people's comics, and some people I know just couldn't uh, get a hold of him, or he didn't officially tell anybody what he wasn't publishing comics anymore. And, it just uh, kind of stopped. Yeah, and uh, and so everybody stopped doing, st- and but there were I mean there's people like. Uh, James Kachalka and Gabriel Bell, like the first uh, stuff by them, uh, he published. Mm-hmm. They went on to uh, for, to get book deals and things like that. I think he was kind of disappointed that a lot of the artists that he first published went on to do uh, bigger things. And so he kind of got out of it. And uh, it's a good thing. And Mark came in, like, he basically has a plan um, and on how to... Uh, put these books out on a, on a regular on a normal schedule and, and uh, also print cartoonists that haven't been published before mm-hmm. yeah he's got a couple of new folks he's been doing um, yeah how often do you expect to have uh, magic whistles now with kind of a more consistent publisher I wanna, I, well yeah I want to try to do it uh, twice a year at least uh, a lot of I mean I'm, I'm also one of the only people uh, still doing a like a periodical comic with out of spine, mm-hmm. uh, just because I, I I feel that's the way that best suits uh, my work. You and Noah Van Skyver and uh, Adrian Tomine. Yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah, I do a lot of. I mean, uh, 
I do a lot of a uh, shorter pieces. Like most of my work is three pages or under. Mm-hmm. So I don't, and I have. I like having guest artists too. Um, so that kind of format's not really right for a graphic novel format, which I tried doing for a few issues. Um, it just didn't seem to be the right uh, kind of showcase or format. When you uh, got. Uh, Liz Hickey to do stuff for it. Did he kind of give her an idea of what you wanted? Just here, you know, X amount of pages. Yeah, I yeah, I I told her what I I was gonna do from now on, and and asked, and she had just moved out to L.A. at the time, and, and was doing a, a, a diary of of uh, life in L.A. Um, and I asked if that was uh, stuff I could print because that that that's been online, but not. Uh, in print on paper. Mm-hmm. Some people just don't want to read comics online. <laughs> I, I wish. <laughs> You've also been doing these uh, YouTube videos of your cartoons. Yeah, yeah basically just because I have all these all these uh, one-panel uh, gags that I've done. I'm tr- just trying to figure out, and I've done a lot of, uh, I've done a few public comics readings. Uh, and so I just basically want to uh, do something kind of like that on a regular basis. I mean, a lot of uh, us read slides of our work, and uh, that's I try to. It's a way of doing it with my computer and the resources I have, not having to pay money. Yeah. Thankfully, computers make things a lot easier. Yeah, I, I mean, not not full, fully animated or anything, but it it, it is kind of a, a combination of it, it's a bit more than slide readings. I mean, I've done a few of those, and uh, I I I, I want to I, I always try to make it more than uh, just me reading slides of my comic. Um, I mean, because that that's good too, but. Uh, I, I, I just want to provide something extra, like just adding sound effects or music or whatever. It's like an old-timey radio play, almost. Kind of. Um, well, I mean, the, the Bob Sikoriak, uh has a show he does regularly called Carousel, uh, with different uh, cartoonists and performance artists uh, reading from slides. And uh, Michael Kupperman, for a while, had something similar. Uh, it was more of a combination of that and with stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I forget what it was called. Crime Stoppers Club. Yeah, I mean, I mean it gave him the opportunity to uh, act like Mark Twain and and, and uh, basically uh, let out the inner ham <laughs> that all cartoonists have. So you're going to be at SPX in September, and then November you'll be at Brooklyn. Any other shows coming up? Or anything? Uh, no, not really. Uh, but uh, like right now, I, I mean, there's so many different shows. The San Diego used to be the only one, and now there are so many. And I don't feel like I don't want to go everywhere uh, at my own expense. Mm-hmm. They are too expensive. Well, the, I mean, the thing is, I'm also like I, my income has to be uh, at a certain level to qualify for medical benefits. It's kind of weird. Um, I. I don't know if you, I guess you you follow U.S. politics and the whole thing about the whole uh, controversy about uh, 
medical insurance. Mm -hmm. So you have to make under a certain amount. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, if if I was uh, making uh, more money and paying out of my own pocket, I'd have to pay. I I I I would have had to. I would have to pay like six hundred a month uh, in uh, med medication I take for epilepsy. And so I I I I need insurance more than most Jesus. people. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it should be. Uh, medicine should be more like something like the police force or fire department. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's uh, just as much uh, like of a, of a something for the general public, and rather not pay like a thousand dollars for a bag of oxygen or something like that if I have a seizure. Jesus. Yeah. Has that kind of contributed towards um, kind of how you kind of focus and just spend time on your own art and your own comics? Uh, well, it, I mean, it, it, it uh, I guess it helped me continue. Because um, I, I, I didn't have, I, I'm epileptic, but I didn't have my first seizure until I was 25 or so. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I, I think uh, having seizures has made me... Uh, more introverted in some ways, and maybe hurt my confidence. I mean, there. I mean, if, if you ask around, like people you talk to, like they've talked to me, and, and just like in the middle of talking to me, I just like spontaneously have a seizure, and people around me don't know what to do. And if I'm in a place I've never been before, uh, I come to, and I don't know where I am. Is it an anxiety type thing, or is it? I don't know. Well, I've, I've, I've well, now that I have, uh, I, I have Medicare. I'm able to uh, see doctors more. And uh, I mean, one uh, doctor said that he could help me, but it, it would uh, probably destroy uh, the creative part of my brain. He doesn't want to go through with that. Jesus, like just certain medication, or just. Well, surgical it, solutions yeah I, I guess uh, like operating on my brain or something um, but um, if that were to happen it's possible I, I wouldn't have the same uh, creative drive I do Jesus I think that's a polite way of him saying that it would make me into a vegetable uh, I don't think that would be a good a good thing to do then yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have found out that other cartoonists also have problems like that. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's I don't feel as bad. It's yeah. I mean, some people are pretty open and clear about it. Like, there's Ivan Brunetti talks pretty openly about his mental health stuff, and um, Julia well, words yeah, in her physical ailments well uh, basically uh, a thing I have in common with them is just a, is a uh, sense of humor and you have to have a sense of humor if you have any kind of an ailment or otherwise you lose a sense of humor about everything else and that basically you become a vegetable creatively it's kind of a way to process through things I guess do you find your sense of humor has changed over the years? 
Um, just, just, uh, I guess from being more mature, but, uh, I mean, I still have the same, uh, mentality and sense of humor of a 12-year-old, but, uh, from a 43-year-old's, uh, perspective on life and life experiences, I guess. Um, well, I'm looking forward to, uh to more comics from you, Sam. A reminder, I've been talking to mm. Sam Henderson and his latest book is Magic Whistle, um, issue 13. So they haven't been every twice a year for quite a while, I'm presuming. Um, well, I, I didn't put out any issue for about four years. Um, uh, but now that I have the opportunity to be printed more and, and uh, showcased more, um, I'm getting back into the groove. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in the latest issue is that you also you had uh, other artists in there because you just didn't have the amount of content at that point to fill up the book or time well, to fill up the book. Well, it's like I, I said, I want to continue to be in anthologies um, and still be twice a year. Um, and like what I said about like printing people like Liz Hickey, um, I'm not. I'm just people don't write letters anymore, and so I. I mean, I, I, some people tweet to me or, or send emails, but, I mean, that's not the same as long letters. Um, so I, I, I don't get as much of that, um, which I would, used to use to fill content. Um, and I, I also just like having other artists. And uh, So in turn, you are creating, making Magic Whistle a little bit more like an anthology and you also want to appear in anthologies. Yeah, I mean, well, there aren't any, uh, there, there aren't, not, I wouldn't say any, but uh, there aren't as many uh, one-man uh, anthologies or, or just anthologies, period. Um, I used to, I mean, I mean things like, like I, I mentioned uh, Weirdo was something I liked. It was something that came out uh, like a few, like three or four issues a year, and uh, there were so many different artists in it um, and you could pick and choose whatever you liked. And you were also in Zero Zero, which was a very kind of odd, diverse anthology put together by uh, Kim Thompson. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's kind of like Weirdo. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that, that was also basically just to showcase new people and have people that had been around uh, a while and just uh, like one or two pages they'd done that wouldn't fit anywhere else. I almost feel like it's a little bit weirder than Weirdo at times. Because you'd be having pages by you, and then follow that up with, like, French cartoonist uh, Stéphane Blanchette, or, <laughs> you know, Al Columbia Strip, and then uh, one of Mac White's, or Mike White's weird, I don't know, what's going on in those Egyptian strips. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was basically basically reflected uh, what Kim Thompson liked, uh, which we, which is, was pretty varied, um, and uh, I compare it to Weirdo not really in content, um, but just as like something that had uh, a dozen or so different artists uh, doing their own thing, mm -hmm. um, and uh, giving uh, providing giving a good impression of of uh, what they would look like, what their stuff is like, if you want to check out more. There isn't as, as much of that anymore. Like someone like uh, like Peter Bagger, Dan Klaus, like you could see like 
four pages or so of, the, of theirs in, antho in an anthology, and uh, they'd also have their own book on a regular basis. There's some, there's some anthologies popping up here and there, but they're definitely... They're much uh, more expensive now. They're um, much more expensive, and they're also a lot more art house based They're kind of yeah, art objects. Kind of. I mean, Kramer's Ergot I liked, but, uh, like... Some, but charging like fifty dollars uh, for some for something by people you hadn't heard of yet, um, it just and I, I, I it, it used to be better uh, when you could go into a comic store and buy a bunch of comics for I guess now it'd be four dollars, um, and uh, if you didn't like something, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. But being saddled with uh, fifty dollar. Yeah, or, or, I mean, $25, is, I guess, is the uh, regular price for a book now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there are, like, some people, uh, like, I think, like Lisa Hanawalt's one of the best cartoonists to uh, come out now, and if I hadn't seen her stuff online or anything like that, I, I probably wouldn't have gotten her book. Are um, there any anthologies coming up that you're appearing in? Uh, well, I'll be in more issues of, of uh, the flagship alternative title, comics title, the uh, alternative comics uh, anthology called Alternative Comics. I think we're both in that. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you do uh, interviews like that, uh, like this one, for uh, that comic as well. It'll uh, take um, the transcription of an interview. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did something please. with David Lasky, um, and I, I guess it, it was a, a radio, uh, radio show or podcast first. What that was was um, Mark took the. Uh, I did a video interview with Lasky. Yeah. And so it's all edited down. I'm completely removed, and then he transcribed the video uh -huh. and used the text from the video of all David's answers. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's how it works, I guess. Yeah, most of the time I I would probably include myself in them. It's just that one was so well edited um, by my friend Daniel Giantamasso. Um, mm -hmm. He did all the, the film work. All I did was sit there and <laughs> ask David stupid questions, and uh, David kindly answered, and Daniel um, kind of boiled it down and put together that little video. Yes, I thought. I, I mean, I think there. There. Uh, I don't have a comic in front of me. That there was a, a link uh, with the interview to, so you could see the actual interview itself. And mm -hmm. I remember that, that there was something like him and Frank Young outside of a library in the middle of winter. That, like that that would be something else. I just went into David's studio. It was uh -huh. just, just the the two of us talking. Yeah. Oh. I would love to do more. I would love to do more, <laughs> yeah. but. Editing video is yeah. a lot of work, so yeah. Sigh. Um, well, thank you, Sam. Uh, once again, so much for talking with me today. Reminder, folks: Sam Henderson's book, book is Magic Whistle, as well. Uh, seen but not heard. You can see him at SPX, or you can see him online at MagicWhistle.com, or yeah. is it TheMagicWhistle.com? It's uh, magicwhistle.com, and uh, my blog spot was the magic whistle, just because that was taken by some uh, someone who hasn't updated their uh, site for uh, six years. Ah, oh, yeah, bastard. So, 
so I, I, I went with the magic whistle for the blog. Um, but luckily, uh, that wasn't taken for the regular website. Uh, so I was able, I was able to buy that. Uh, my email address uh, is magicwhistle.henderson, and I only have such a long uh, email address because uh, all the things like all the variations on Magic Whistle or Henderson were already taken. I'm sure there must be lots of people wanting to make use of the term Magic Whistle for all sorts of nefarious, nefarious and terrible ideas. Yeah, and I mean, and there are also there are plenty of people uh, with my name, so any variation, like with an underscore or, or a dot or just one word, uh, they were already taken. Um, there we go, folks. Check out Sam's stuff. And thank you so much, Sam, for chatting with me tonight. Oh, today. welcome.